0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. In today's episode, I want to talk about how each of us all of us are on a timeline of sorts if you've ever looked in an encyclopedia where there's a a timeline of events of the middle ages or something like that you will see years and events listed in chronological order we all have a personal timeline There was Brad Laird, 1975. Well, it began in 1959. But from a musical standpoint, there is 1975. Then there are events that happened in 76 and 77, 1978, and so on and so on and so on. So there is this timeline that you are creating for yourself. What I want to do today is talk about your personal timeline, and your level of accomplishment. So this is going to be sort of a challenge to put across in an audio podcast because if I had some charts here beside me, I could show you the chart and use my laser pointer to point out the features of the chart. It's going to be a little challenging because I'm going to try to do that by simply describing the chart. And then you'll have the added task of attempting to understand what I'm saying and re-visualizing it back on your end. When I complete this episode, I think I will create an example chart and put it over on the show notes page. So if you go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down that ever increasingly long list of podcast episodes all the way to the bottom and find click on this, the title of this episode, and I'll put a chart up there that is representative of what I'm talking about here today. So if you're listening to this now, that chart is already there, so you may want to go look at that if you're having trouble visualizing what I'm about to describe. I know that's impossible. How can you visualize what I have yet to describe? But it's coming. So, But before I get into the timeline I want to do just a a little quick house cleaning of some things I need to say first of all thank you to everyone who has purchased some of my video lessons ebooks etc on my site or have become a grass talk radio supporter Uh, this uh, has been a challenging time over the last few weeks as I have mentioned before, in dealing with computer hardware issues. And I am up and running. The, uh, the old computer that I had is packed in a box, preparing to eventually take a trip up to Atlanta and be dropped off at a repair place. We'll see how that eventually turns out. In the meantime, I have to personally thank my brother greg and his wife vicky for handing over to me an old macbook pro that they weren't using anymore uh you know greg heard about my plight and said well hey i got this computer it's not running right now but maybe you can get it running and maybe it'll work for you so i i met him and got the computer and did manage to get it working and I'm able to run it off that backup that I talked about. So, thanks to my brother and his wife Vicky, I have something to operate on. It it is c- quite crazy to sit down in front of this is probably a 12 or 13-inch screen when I've been used to this 27 When I've been used to this 27-inch monster screen and, you know, I open up something and all these overlapping windows and anything. But, hey, I'm not complaining. Good old Greg came to the rescue. So, eventually, I hope to get the other one back up and running. But it's been interesting to try to keep the podcast going and try to be able to answer people's emails and respond to people and all of a sudden everything is messed up and not working and and so on also i've uh, bert casey i have to thank bert casey also and his son jeremy at watch and learn and you may know that i began doing mandolin instruction videos for this company watch and learn and have had a you know working relationship with them for quite a few years now about about 10 years and uh, Bert has been my go-to guy and Jeremy for technical issues. Um, They've been doing this kind of Macintosh tech technology stuff for a long time. So Bert helped me out a little bit too. And so thanks Bert. And thanks Jeremy. Okay. Now, now that I've gotten all my thank yous out of the way, at least it wasn't my 17 minute diatribe. Like the last episode, let's get into the topic for today's episode, and that is that you are on a timeline. So here's what I want you to picture. Just a 2D graph with a vertical axis and a horizontal axis. And the horizontal axis, you could even get out a piece of paper and draw this, draw a big L. So you have a vertical line and a horizontal line and label the horizontal line time on the left is the past and on the right is the future and you could even mark it off and put little tick marks on there and mark it in years because i think for these purposes years will be a good unit of measurement so this timeline will have years across the bottom you might even want to fill it in for yourself with Actual years, the year of your birth, and maybe go in five-year increments all the way up to today and on into the future. Uh, for, for the one of the charts that I made in, in working up these thoughts, I started my timeline, 1975. And I went in two-year increments, 77, 79, 81, 83, 85, 87, 89, 91, and so on and so on and so on, all the way up to today. So, that's the timeline. What we want to do is compare how things are today with how things were were a few years ago, or a lot of years ago, or last year. And in so doing, attempt to predict the future. That's what humans are always trying to do, is predict the future. If you buy a lottery ticket, you're attempting to predict the future. What numbers will be pulled? We are future predicting critters. And I think it's helpful in order to predict the future to look at the past. So you've got your horizontal timeline, the years of your life. Now, what do we do with the vertical timeline? That could be many different things. And because this is a podcast for people who play bluegrass or want to play bluegrass, which implies want to play bluegrass better than they did yesterday, let's use the vertical scale and call it, How Good Are You? Now, I know that's not a very technical it's hard to pin that down. How good are you? But what we want to do is have that vertical scale represent your abilities. And so there's a lot of ways you could do that. And you could, you could produce an entire book full of charts. You could have a book, a timeline. Let's say that scale on the, on the vertical scale is from 0 to 10. 10 being the pinnacle of achievement and zero being completely horrible. Can't do that at all. And you might label this page in your little composition book that you picked up at the dollar store, this page might be titled Accuracy, and you would know what that means It. If you wrote it, you know, you would know that for you, accuracy meant, well, you know, I, when I try to play these notes, I'm, I'm actually doing it and the notes sound good and I'm putting my finger in the right place. Could be that sort of accuracy. How good is your accuracy on a scale of one to ten? That's getting it down to really fine detail. It, it could be your timing, your ability to execute phrases, your knowledge base. Like, let's say you made a chart, a timeline, and the vertical scale was 0 to 10, your knowledge of music. Well, then you could have another page that your knowledge of popular music, your knowledge of music theory, your knowledge of scales, your knowledge of chords. You see, you could fill a massive volume full of these timeline charts Describing different individual parts of you. Because everybody's good at some things and not so good at others. What we're going to do here is just kind of mash all those things together. How good is your speed? Your ability to improvise? How about that old thing called tastefulness? Do you have any of it? Like you could be the lousiest player in the world with no knowledge of theory. And be really tasteful. That's possible. You, the opposite could be true too. You could have incredible skills and knowledge and speed. And be not very tasteful. Like, you know, telling an off-color joke at a funeral would not be very tasteful. And Well, there are banjo licks played at the wrong time in the wrong song that are distasteful. So how tasteful are you? So what we're going to do for this little thought experiment is just take all of those pages and average them. Let's say you took every characteristic of your humanity and you devised this chart. In 1975, how knowledgeable was I about the blues scale? That could be page one. Turn the page. In 1975, how knowledgeable was I of the pentatonic scale? rate it one to 10 in 1976 and 1977 and so on. And what I want you to do is sort of imagine this entire volume of every one of your characteristics pertaining to music. And they're in the timelines. Like I wasn't any good at that in 75. I wasn't any good at in 77. And in 1980, I took lessons from this guy and I got, I got a little better at that music theory stuff And then it stayed the same for 10 years. And then I went to this workshop and Mike Marshall said this really ingenious thing. And I went up by about two points. And so what I'm saying is you've got this book of all of your individual items that make up you as a musician. And each one has their timeline. Then you throw it all into the computer. Hopefully your computer is working and you average all these things. And you have to weight them, too, because some of these things that you're going to rate yourself on are more important than others. I would put those things way at the top that are heavily weighted, things like timing. You know, just ask any musician, you know, wh- what makes a great musician? Probably one of them going to be Timing some you know, you're going to hear that over and over so put a lot of weight on timing so your timing chart that number might get entered 15 times into the computer whereas your execution or knowledge base or any of these other things you know what kind of clothes you wear that would rate very low so just pretend that this algorithm has been all mashed together and we're going to try to come out with One single number that is that first thing I said. How good are you as a musician? How good are you? That's that whole algorithm crunching all of those numbers. Are you a zero, a one, a two? I talked about this in one of my very early podcasts where I talked about rating yourself on these three scales, the knowledge Experience. I can't even remember it. I, it's it's already been a year now. You may remember that episode. The I think it was called the K A E scale or something. This is even more complex than that. But what I want you to do is try to simplify all this down because this is what we do when we go to a show and we watch this man. That dude is good. Or we might go, eh, eh he's okay. Or, Ooh, man, that dude sucks. Or, you, you know what I'm saying? And in our own head, that algorithm processing on that date, and you rate them. It may not be one to 10. It's usually more colorful things like, he stinks. Man, he's all right. He's, man, that dude's good. Holy cow. You know, this is, this takes place in, in your mind all the time. What I want you to do is do it for yourself because other people are looking at you making those judgments. Why don't you look in the mirror, make those judgments of yourself? So, okay, so let's now imagine a timeline. This is a timeline that I have seen. And remember, the vertical scale from this point forward is, how good are you? You know, just pretty simplified, boiled down the essence of the person as a musician, how good a musician are you? And this is a typical student that I've seen many, 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 many times. And I'm thinking now of one person in particular, but there were many students that I taught private lessons to that had this timeline and the vertical scale is how good a musician are you? One to 10, zero to 10 and then years marching along the right and what you see is about a 45 degree angle line coming up from the zero mark from the day they walked in the door and a year later they're up there at about that two mark they're, they've gone from zero to a two in about a year and then a year later they're sitting at about three and a half to four it's almost a straight linear progression at about a 45 degree angle upwards. And then it begins to plateau. The plateau comes in. And we have all heard about this. Well, I've reached a plateau in my playing. Yeah, it happens. It happens. Teachers notice it. Now, Now, this whole thing could have been condensed into 12 weeks of lessons. But on this chart, I put it as two years. I've seen a lot of people reach a plateau. And it becomes frustrating at that point for the teacher because the teacher has more and more and more and more information that they want to transmit to the student. But the student is usually held back by the physical inability to execute the things that the teacher is suggesting they do. They just can't process it all. And they need time to take what they've learned very rapidly and now let it grind, let it simmer. Everybody knows that if you make a pot of chili, you you can put all the ingredients into the pot, put it in that slow cooker, and after about 4 hours, dip yourself out a cup of it and try it. It's it's pretty good. But you let that thing sit overnight and possibly the entire next day. Then come back, you've changed nothing except time. And you scoop it, and that chili will be five times as good. They call it the the melding of the flavors. This takes time, and this happens in your mind, too, when you're playing. So don't worry about those plateaus that you reach. That may be a time when it's a good time to take a break from the regular lessons, or Kinda of, if a teacher is wise to that, they'll switch what they're doing in the lessons. Instead of piling on more tunes and more information and more this and more that and continuing through book three and all that. Maybe that if a teacher is wise, then they spot this plateau beginning to occur that they work on other things like let's play together, let's practice just playing together, let's 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 get some mileage on that odometer of Musicianship. A good teacher will recognize this and alter the way they're working on things. And then, when later you'll see other climbs in the skill abilities, you'll, things will begin to just happen that the teacher didn't teach. Like the, the student will come in and at that plateau stage and suddenly surprise the teacher. Well what's going on here that chili is finally fully formed into the proper thing you attempted to make. This requires time. So don't get flipped out by plateaus. That's the first thing. But what I've seen in so many 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 students is that they they're like a racehorse out of the gate. Everything's they're they're excited, they're They're learning lots of new stuff. I mean, a student at four weeks knows a whole lot more than a student at one week. But then they got to try to get good enough to play it fast enough to play it accurately enough to go to a jam session and take those three chords and play 150 different songs. That's where the plateau comes in. And what happens with a lot of people I've seen is that you begin to see a dwindling of their ability and certainly their excitement and as that after that initial burst and after that plateau there's a tapering off and eventually fading back to zero or near zero and long before that they've already quit lessons. What happened? I think what happens is is something pretty basic and if you understand this it may prevent that from happening to you because you you clawed your way excitedly up to the 2 on a scale of 10 level, you don't want your future to be 10 years down the road, you've stopped playing, and you're back at zero. I mean, Is that the timeline you envisioned when you started? Heck no. You want to be at least a 6, maybe a 7 or 8 by now, you know, five years later. But many, many people never get there. And I think the reason is, is that there's that plateau of being a level two on a scale of 10 player. And it's just no fun. It's no fun to be the lousiest player around. It's no fun to be the guy that doesn't know how to play that chord. It's no fun to everybody's playing too fast and you can't keep up. It's no fun that people look at you kind of funny. When you you tried this little lick and they, they, you know, the better players are giving you the evil eye. That is no fun. And that's a reason to check out and say, the heck with this. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. But I think if you're aware of the fact that that's what happens to a lot of people, you need to go back and examine what, what was I doing that caused my ability levels to go up? We know it causes them to go straight line, flat line. I just need to process all this. I need to let the flavors meld together. That's understandable. But what brought on the increases? Okay, so I did a little quick project in about an hour and charted myself as a mandolin player. And that may be what I put up on the On the show notes page, my chart, my abilities as a man on player. So let me go over that. I need to get my glasses here. My vision. If I did a timeline of my vision, it has steadily declined (laughs) lately. Okay. Here it is. Brad Laird mandolin ability scale of one to 10 vertical scale on the left. Just kind of an arbitrary concoction of, All the things that go into making a mandolin player. 1975, zero. By 1977, it's about a, maybe a 77, I'm about a a two, maybe a one. Well, between 75 and 77, I had a mandolin book and a couple little chord charts. And I was really more interested in being a banjo player. But I wanted to find out, you know, what about the mandolin? And I had a Penny mandolin. I didn't make much progress. I knew two or three tunes. I was very, very low on the scale. That was 1977. You might call me a mandolin owner rather than a mandolin player. 1979 through 1981, there's that 45 degree climb. I went from a from a two to a four. During that period. And that was the period I went to college. Started a band called Pony Express. And I was the mandolin player. I I had to get with it. Quick. Then I get to 1981. From 1981 to 1983. It's pretty much straight lined. I'm sort of the same mandolin player. For that, that time period. I'm not really getting much better. Why? Because I was out of college. Pony Express fell apart. I didn't have a band. There wasn't a reason to practice and so on. 1983, I joined Cedar Hill and this thing goes up, not 45. It's steeper than that. The climb and what what I would rate my abilities from 83 to 85, just shot straight up. I would put myself then at about a seven, six or seven. Let's call it a six. That was coming into a band of a bunch of guys that were much better players than me, and there was a lot asked of me. So I had to step it up, and that caused me to apply myself to it, and I became a much better band player. Then from 87 up through, by my chart here, up through about 93, I would say that there's a steady increase in my ability, and that was because I was still playing with Cedar Hill. New material, a lot more experience, and so on. And that it began to taper off, I would say, by 99 or 01. Maybe I had peaked at maybe about an 8. Somewhere somewhere in there, I don't actually have numbers on this chart. I just drew a line. It kind of stabilized, 99, 01, 03. O five, oh seven, oh nine. In twenty ten, I've plotted a downward trajectory in my mandolin playing skills. Not my mandolin playing knowledge, but my, my personal skills. I began to notice arthritis affecting my hands. And my mother dealt with arthritis. She was a piano player and an organist, which I talked about in some other episodes. In her later years she had a lot of trouble with her hands and arthritis and I see it happening in me and I I I detect a downtrend in my playing but then what caused a drastic drop in my ability as a mantle player that happened in 2010 and it happened when I quit Cedar Hill after 27 years I just couldn't do the same thing over and over and over and we moved from Atlanta down here to the country and They were just going to make a change. But if you measure my, if I get a mandolin out today and my mandolin skills are not as high as they were, you know, back during that peak in the eighties and nineties, I'm not afraid to tell you that. That may happen to you. You know, you could, you could take any player. If you did a chart for Bill Monroe and just did a very simple chart of his skills as a mandolin player and charted over the years, you would see times when his skills rocketed up and times when they tended to stay level or decline somewhat. And then, you know, when like the period with flattened Scruggs in the band, I would say it went up and then that the doldrums of the fifties, it may have went down in certain ways. And then in the seventies as a festival movement came on and he was at the peak of his, prowess as a musician I would say it went up 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 and he was surrounded by great musicians and then of course as he entered old age there was no question that old age took a toll on his ability to play he wasn't 40 or 30 or 25 anymore and you know if you just rate the mandolin playing you get one chart but if you Rate other aspects of a person, those hundred charts in that volume, he may be, you know, way beyond 10 in some areas and in other areas, he may be nearing two or three or lower. So what I'm saying is my own playing took a, as a mandolin player, took a serious drop off when I stopped playing with Cedar Hill and, and wasn't the mandolin player in a band. So I think the lesson you can gain from that is that most of the the big increases in my own ability has come from committing to playing that instrument in a band. When that was required of me, I had to do it. And I think that could help you. I've said, start a band, go watch or go listen to that episode. Now, if I look at the same chart for banjo, me as a banjo player, 1975 zero. And then I built my own banjo, and I was really hot on being a banjo player. And I would say by 1979, I was probably about a three. And then when I went to college, even though I was the mandolin player for Pony Express, I really just wanted to play banjo, and I played a lot of banjo. And I might have went up to a five or a six between 79 and 81. And then by 83, when I became known primarily as a mandolin player and played mostly with Cedar Hill, my banjo playing went down. I just wasn't playing it. And it went down, maybe hovered around a three, you know, and I I kept practicing it and played it. And I mean, I don't think it really significantly changed until after 2001. And I would say it began to drop a little bit as, you know, a little arthritis began to affect my speed and there's just been a gradual tapering off of my banjo skills over the years. And you might say, well, this is just means it's hopeless. It, you know, you get old, you can't play. No, that's not true because I want to point out something else about my chart. I didn't chart the guitar, by the way. I did chart the fiddle. The fiddle is, a, is just a weird little blip. It started in 75. It blips up to about a one or a two and then dives off and by 1978, it's zero, and it's just pretty much stayed there the rest of my life. I do have a fiddle. I got a couple of them, and I can play still the one or two tunes that I learned when I first got hot on the idea of playing the fiddle, but I never gained any ground on the fiddle whatsoever. But I got this sneaking suspicion that if somehow or other... I was forced to be the fiddle player in a band. I would suddenly pour a lot more energy into it, and maybe I might make it up to a three on the fiddle. But the fiddle's just kind of a a little blip on this thing. But let me talk about the bass. I bought my first bass about 1978, upright bass. And I was a zero. And I think with fooling around with it a little bit, I became a, a one. And I talked in a previous episode about doing that gig as a bass player with uh, Iron Mountain String Band and not knowing what I was doing. And that forced me to get with it a little bit. And by 83 or 84, I was probably a a two or three. You know, I'd learned to at least play the chord changes. And then my bass playing just stabilized. It just stayed there on a scale of one to ten. It was probably a two or a three. I would take it to festivals. I would occasionally, I had one song that I played the bass on in Cedar Hill, and I had this solo, and that was all I knew how to do was that one thing. I I did that very well, but I didn't do anything else. Then along about 95, 97, 99, I began to get more interested in the bass and started playing with other people. And formed a little band called the Incorrigible String Band with a couple of my students. And I would say that my bass playing shot up at that 45 degree angle to where I would have classified myself maybe a five, five or a six during that time period. Well, that got me noticed by a few people. And I started filling in on bass with a few bands around Atlanta. And that helped my playing even more. And then... When I got down here to Americus, and I had pretty much laid off the mandolin entirely, I was still playing the bass, and I, I got together with these guys, the Plucktones, and became their bass player, and I've seen my bass playing steadily increase in skill, and I don't know where I'd put myself, maybe a seven, seven and a half on a good night. I'm feeling pretty good about my bass playing. What I see is that upswing again in ability level, because it's required of me. And I'm enjoying myself. I'm performing. So what I'm getting at here is that putting yourself in that position where it, you must perform helps your playing. It's certainly helped mine every time it has occurred. Then the last instrument that I charted was the dobro. And I picked it up about, I think it was 2015, just a couple of years ago. I just got... I'd gotten really frustrated with my mandolin playing. And I, I just thought, oh, I'm going to do something different. And I picked up the Dobro. And I, I've just plotted it here as going from a zero up to about a five in two years. And it's because I'm playing it every week. I'm going to this jam session every week. And when they look at me to take a break, i got to take a break. And that does more for your playing than Anything. Anyway, uh, I hope you're able to visualize these, these charts and that you might sit down and waste a little time making some charts for yourself. But let me, just to wrap it up here, recap some of the things that cause ability increases in your chart and a few things that cause decreases. Things that cause upward trends. Good practice. Actual practice. Listen to practice versus playing. Real practice. Teachers. Sometimes a teacher comes along who opens a new door to you. Certainly a teacher or good teaching can help. Inspiration. You know, going to a show and seeing somebody just kill it and thinking in your mind, gosh, if I could just do that, if I could be half that good, inspiration comes along that lifts you and getting into a performing situation. I don't care if it's a jam session and you're going to go play at the old folks home. I think it drags people down to have these slow jam groups of a bunch of people who cannot play that well, sitting around encouraging each other and never performing. And they That is not going to help your playing. Okay, so there are things that decrease your abilities. One would be never performing. I mean, why are you making music if you don't want to make it for someone else? I don't care if it's sitting on a corner on a a crate. Perform. Performing will help your playing. If you want to get better, think about performing. This will cause your playing to decrease. Band breakups. The band broke up. You know, that happens all the time. Band breakups or you getting canned, kicked out of a band. That will hurt your playing ability. Unless you rectify that situation. Obviously, personal problems, financial problems, things that work lack of time, legal things, maybe you got locked up, you know, that might hurt your playing, might help your playing. I don't know if the warden lets you have your banjo, it might, might actually help your playing. <laughs> Didn't hurt Merle Haggard. Uh, I'm not suggesting that as a learning tool, but you know, there is just a slew of things which are not directly related to music that can hinder your musical ability, including injury. When you uh, decide to take up boat building and slice off half your index finger with a plane and can't play for two years or perhaps ever again, you know, injuries, car accidents, all that kind of stuff obviously can hurt your playing. So my only advice there would be be careful and be careful. If you want to play music, your hands are these amazing machines. Try to take care of them. Health, just general health. I, let me. <laughs> I thought of this as I was making these notes. Nothing will harm your ability to play more than attending your own funeral. But that pretty much will just kill your ability to play, being dead. So think about that, but then think about it on a scale. Same goes for being sick, being horribly out of shape, being physically, you know, you know what I mean. Take care of your health to the extent that you're able to. I know it's well known in musical circles that musicians sometimes are the absolute worst at doing that. That's an episode for a future time, but think about your health. Better health means better music. Anyway, you get the idea. You're on this timeline. There is a timeline with you as a banjo player. Some time has passed chart them And... Take little slices of it and go, well, what was happening then? Why did I get better then? Why have I not gotten better lately? Think about it. Draw some timelines. Make whole books full. Condense it down. Condense this into some sort of prediction for the future. And where you see that future, if that line isn't pointing where you want it to go, Make some changes and try to aim that line to a higher level. Anyway, I hope this was interesting and fun. Thank you to everybody that listens to the show. As I've said before, the show isn't really to teach you anything. It's more just to spark some ideas and get you thinking in some new ways. Thanks for listening. Be sure to hop over to the uh, grass talk and take a look at the show notes for this page. If you want to see that chart. Might help you do a similar chart for yourself. And as always, don't forget to visit BradleyLayer.com, the home of all those free goodies. And of course, my various digital download learning instructional materials. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in the next podcast.